Hey everyone, thanks for checking the show out. Our guest today is one of the most sought after strength and conditioning coaches in all of mixed martial arts. He's the director of sports performance and physiology at Nova Southeast University in Florida. He's the head strength and conditioning coach at Sanford MMA, which is the Henry Hoof squad down in Florida. Um, and he's you know, directly responsible or a large part uh, of the reason that guys like Vulcan Ozdemir, uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson, Jason Jackson. Uh, he's worked with guys like Gilbert Burns, um, Luke Rockhold, Vitor Belfort, um, just to name a few. And um, he's a, a really bright guy and uh, appreciated his insight on both mixed martial, mixed martial arts um, as well as just general health and well-being. Um, I was really lucky because he's also the head strength and conditioning coach of Kamaro Usman, who if you follow the UFC or mixed martial arts, you know uh, Kamaro has a humongous title defense this weekend against uh, Jorge Masvidal at Fight Island uh, over in the Middle East. So super excited that I had the chance to talk with Corey, and uh, I think you guys will enjoy it a lot. But before we get to our show today, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Action, who quite honestly helps make all of this happen. Look, I say it over and over and over again. If you drink coffee and you haven't tried Action, you're missing out. You need to go to drinkaction.com, and that's Action with a K, and you need to pick one of the three specialty blends, whether it's a light roast, a medium roast, a dark roast, we've got you covered. If you like it in a K-cup, ground, or whole bean, we can do that for you too. And if you enjoy it, you'll be excited to know that Action is expanding into some new categories, including performance supplements. There'll be a new website launching later this month at actionperformance.com. And there's also a new social media presence, and that's at Take Action. So look, go check it out. Buy yourself some coffee. Stay tuned on all the different channels. And use code word CURIOUS to get 15% off and free shipping on that order. And I believe that's good through the end of this month. So, yes. Appreciate it and enjoy the show with Dr. Corey Peacock. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, Corey. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Sorry we had to reschedule this so many damn times. Hey, man. It's no problem. We live in a, a crazy world right now. Yeah, with, that, with everything going on and stuff like that, these schedules, fights, everything have been all over the place. Yeah, I figured uh, your life must be absolute craziness right now. And, um, you know, to kind of dive right in, I, I think first and foremost, thank you again. And for anybody that don't, doesn't know who you are, um, Dr. Corey Peacock, the founder and head um, strength conditioning physiology at Pe Peacock Performance. Um, Correct. You're also... Um, associate professor at Nova NSU, Florida, correct? Yeah, Nova Southeastern University. I uh, just took over program director there. So we have a awesome. undergraduate in exercise and sports science. And then we actually just opened up a master's degree in focused more on just the technology side, data analysis of sports science. So kind of a, a new shift in a, a master's program for sports science. So first, first cohort of students this summer obviously what a crazy time to to introduce a bunch of students into a program so yeah uh, yeah it's crazy no I, I can imagine and you know i the timing kind of in a weird way works out as you know one of your staple athletes has a humongous event this weekend um and Dude. i think it it kind of goes into the, the the first thing that i really wanted to dive in with you is you know catching somebody at the peak right um and i think it's unique with this situation because on one side you have someone who, you know, you're training, you're, you're, I, you're trying your best to identify a date and work yourself up to peak performance. Um, but in the world of MMA, there's also the, the need for last minute fill in and Masvidal, great example of that. And so, you know, can you maybe dive in a little bit and explain how do you get somebody like Kamaru Usman to the peak, whether it's during COVID or, in normal time frame, when you're identifying a date during a fight camp? Sure. Well, you know, let, let's talk Kamaru specifics. I was actually going through a lot of our data and stuff like that here that usually in fight week is when I have a chance to really analyze a lot of the work that we've done and in the preparation going into that. I like to try to get that done before the actual fight takes place, just so there's no 
emotional bias attachment, what the, you know, I like to stay as objective as possible with the data. So once the outcome of the fight comes through, I think that throw, you know, obviously that plays a big part into what, how we progress, but I like to stick with what we did. And, uh, you know, according to, uh, you know, some of the UFC resources and things like that, I mean, technically we started work January 4th and at this time point, we actually anticipated that we were going to be fighting in March. So, you know, if you really look at that with everything that went on, the March date fell through. And then we were looking at a mid-May date and then this switched to July. So even with somebody like Kamara, who's at the top echelon of the sport, he still doesn't necessarily have the luxury of being provided an exact date. And as we know, as, as sports scientists, strength and conditioning coaches, there is a process for peaking an athlete at the right time and being able to have them prepare at their best, um, you know, as regards to probably 95% of the UFC roster, they don't have that luxury, you know? Yeah. So, so we're, we're really forced as, as performance staff to, to do something that, you know, scientifically is kind of quote unquote impossible to do. And that's keep somebody as close to fight ready peak performance as they can be year round. You know, I don't know what the detriments are going to be years from now on things like metabolism and things like strength and, you know, just overall health. But, you know, we're tasked with that very small, or, you know, with that very large assignment right now for the very small portion of their life that, that is their career. Um, but, but to answer a little bit more specifically with somebody like Kamaru, I mean, a lot of the process that we follow with all of our fighters, you know, not only Kamaru, but, you know, Anthony Johnson, who you guys know really well and, yep. and all those things, it's, it's really just starting with the basics. We do a lot of very in-depth laboratory work where we're going to do things like blood, where we're going to do things like saliva, where we're going to do body composition, power, strength, um, aerobic capacity, and those kind of things. And we'll get as specific as kind of genetic components on some of those blood markers. Um, you know, some of the inflammatory markers in terms of saliva. And then outside of that, we're going to look at some of the basic performance testing that you can think of, uh, you know, as, as, as far as just body composition wise, muscle, mm -hmm. fat, uh, body water, which is going to play a big role in our, in our weight cut. And, and a lot of our preparation is based off of that performance assessment. You know, we're going to take that, we're going to set up whatever we're allowed in terms of the amount of time to prepare for this. And, and we're going to break up into what's a basically just a general preparation where in my mind, there's something, you know, once we're in camp and once we're close to the fight, hopefully a lot of the work from my side has been done, mm -hmm. you know, where my work closer to the fight is really just to support the rest of the work that's going on. That's fight specific, sure. you know? preparing the energy systems that are necessary for sparring, for wrestling, making sure those, the body is firing, the muscles are firing, the strength is where it needs to be. But I think as far away from the fight as we can get is where a lot of what we actually do as strength and conditioning professionals mm -hmm. is going to impact. And, and, you know, a good example of that is somebody like Anthony, where, you know, Anthony's been away from the sport for, for you know, nearly two years now. And, and we've had to really step back and look at these assessments and look at where he's at and and by no means has Anthony been, you know, I don't want to say Anthony's been lazy. Anthony's been extremely physically active. You know, yeah. we saw the change, the transformation in his body where, you know, he really started focusing on strength training and hypertrophy and, you know, almost looked like a bodybuilder here yeah. for a little while. But what you have to understand is the amount of time and effort he put in to look like that still isn't going to prepare him for the, the time, for the effort commitments necessary to be a successful mixed martial artist. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that time period of being able to analyze some of these, these asymmetries, these weaknesses, be able to analyze the energy systems, be able to analyze metabolism substrates, I think that gives us a good look at what prerequisites we need to really focus on for them to go into camp successfully. And what I mean by that, like, you know, now we're at a point with Anthony that I know Anthony could enter a camp now and be able to withstand the grind of wrestling, jujitsu, sparring, and all of those things. Yep. And, you know, hopefully be able to take that metabolically injury-free and all of those things. But yeah. that wasn't the point, even though he looked like just Matt, you know, he yep. didn't have the prereqs to do that. And now he does. And, and that took us a long time. Uh, his, his comeback has me super intrigued because of this process. As I've kind of spoken more and, and learned what he's been willing to share, 
Um, I have no doubt that when he steps foot back in there, he's going to be in the same form, if not better form than he was when he stepped out. So um, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, and, and somebody like Anthony, you know, and, and again, I, I, I don't think this is any secret. I, I mean, Anthony, his last couple of fights in the UFC, I mean, he wasn't in it emotionally, psychologically anymore. And I think that's, you know, a lot of people sit there and, you know, you can speculate he stepped away at the top of the game, you know, and I think about that. I think, you know, those last four or five fights, he's still the scariest man on earth. He's still the number one contender through the entire thing, you know, one to two title shots and his head psychologically wasn't even fully into it. Now he's at a point where he's been able to go full circle and he's still not at a point that he's being rushed. You know, you see, certain people like Dana White and them out there trying, <laughs> trying to rush him into it. Like, where's he at? What's he doing? Like, yeah, you know? I see that as a, that's Dana, that's Dana being Dana to yeah. me. I, I see that. I get excited because mm -hmm. Dana's not going to waste his time talking about anything. That's, that's not it. worth his time in the very short future. So he yeah. knows everybody wants it, yes. but, but again, Anthony's taking the right approach where he's going to make sure that he's both mentally and physically 100% committed to, to the effort that, is necessary to, you know, and let's just be honest for somebody like him, he has no lower expectation than becoming a world champion. I mean, that's, that's where it's at. You know, he has to make sure that he's there though, mentally and physically to make that run to, to obtain this, to obtain this goal. And, and I don't think any of us expect anything differently. Mm -hmm. Now it's really interesting. And, and so like, you know, you're a guy like Masvidal or fill in the blank that gets a phone call the week prior, mm -hmm. you're not going to pass up the opportunity and, and let's be real, he's, he's been training for Kamaru this whole time, right? I mean, so it's not as I, – I heard, I heard Kamaru talk, and, I mean, nobody's talking about the disadvantage that he's at, where it's, it's just as much short notice for him, um, and he's got a lot more on the line to lose, and it's, there's kind of a built-in excuse. But, you know, what is that like from a performance standpoint, and how would you approach trying to get somebody, you know, to the best of their ability on, you know, seven days – when you have something like that with that seven days notice and I've had this plenty of times, I mean, even through this pandemic, we've had guys that have been sitting ready guys that are, you know, that were former UFC fighters that know they have a chance now based on just travel restrictions to be able to jump back in on short notice and, and things like that. And I think, you know, a lot of us, when a lot of this pandemic occurred and, and we started to see these things and a lot of the uncertainties in this, you know, that was one of those times where me, in my situation, you know, put everybody to the test, like everybody that's forced at home, step on the scale for me once a week. Let's make sure that you are doing all the right things, even though there are certain things that are out of our control to be ready if you need to be in that situation. And again, I, I think you said it, masvidal has been training. There's, there's no doubt about that. Colby Covington's been training. They knew, it's just like anything, anybody that sees a fight date like this and they know they want that fight, they're preparing for that date no matter what. Um, and like you said, it's, I think it's more of a disadvantage to somebody like Kamaru. And I know other people are going to disagree with that, but like, listen, Kamaru's trained for one fighter where Masvidal's been training with the preparation of only Kamaru Usman in his head. Yeah. So it's like, he knows who he's fighting. Kamaru's been training strictly for Gilbert Burns because I mean, that's I'll no just cupcake. Be, that's, well, that's not I a mean, walk in the park at all. I mean, listen, and this is no disrespect to, to Kobe, to, to George, to, to any of those guys, because I think they're all fantastic competitors. And, yep. But Gilbert Burns is as good, if not better. And I'll stand by that. I've, I've been fortunate enough. I've trained Gilbert Burns. You know, I trained Gilbert Burns back when we were with the Black Zillions for, I want to say, four or five fights yep. or something like that. And, you know, I worked with him until, until the Black Zillions fell apart. Um, and I still know Gilbert very well. I know his family. I know his, his current strength and conditioning coach, who's a, a phenomenal strength coach as well. Um, you know, preparing for Gilbert Burns is, was a whole task in itself. And, and you look at Kamaru and, and some of the things that he's done. You know, Kamaru made a few changes even in this camp, um, you know, a little different than last camp where the last, I want to say, two weeks – um, he actually, you know, switched location just to kind of get away from Gilbert and, and focus on himself and really, you know, Kamar was a guy that has to create a sense of, I, I want to say, he has to put himself in a very dark place psychologically before he can come out and shine, you know, if, if sure. that makes sense. So it, if him still being in the same routine around the same guys, around Gilbert, around Gilbert's family, seeing Gilbert's kids run around, 
that's hard for him to dissociate the friend training partner and stuff like sure. that. So, you know, we had to, he had to step away. So we did, you know, the last couple of weeks remotely, um, which has been different for us. Uh, the one thing I can say about him, he was, he was, when he left, he was further ahead testing wise, conditioning strength than he's ever been. So that to me is whoever gets him that night, it's, it's very, very scary to think that's what you're going to be getting. But, you know, I don't really have, I kind of regress from that, that question. I don't think there's a secret recipe in terms of how do you prepare somebody in that short of time, other than making sure that they are completely and fully confident in the preparation that's taken place mm -hmm. up until that point. You know, I think about mm -hmm. somebody like I have a fighter, a Bellator fighter, Jason Jackson, who, Oh yeah. Uh, you know, Jason, yeah, yeah, he, he went over to Hawaii on short notice and fought, I want to say the number four welterweight off of same thing, six, seven days notice. And I remember the conversation he had with me before he left was just, you know, I didn't do a ton of fight training this time. I did more of the specifics with Henry, more just, you know, pad work between the pad work and mm -hmm. the strength and conditioning. I was fully confident in my preparation going into this fight that I could on short notice, go in there and perform to the best of my ability to win for those 15 minutes. It may not be the best of my ability because I didn't have all the specifics sparring this, but I knew physically I had the conditioning to make it 15 minutes and my skill set was better. And I think yeah. that's a big part of it. I can't remember who it was, but I, I feel like I've heard it on maybe a Rogan podcast or something like that, where there's, there's somebody in particular that really pushed the mindset of you already know how to fight. Mm -hmm. So you know, your camp should be about getting yourself at the peak condition to go those three or five rounds. And then you should be making your adjustments in between your fights. If, if you got to work on your leg kicks or you've got to work on your wrestling, really double down during that time. What, is that a mindset that you feel is kind of permeating through mixed martial arts, especially, I mean, you're talking about testing heart rate variabilities and saliva and checking for inflammation and I think as this sport gets bigger, the margin for error becomes less and less, and it's treated more like a, a football, which I know that's your background, right? Is right. it's coming from collegiate football. And so, yeah, I mean, just the leaps and bounds of five to 10 years of how guys used to train. I remember the old Sean Shirk videos. I mean, the guy was a savage, but there, there, was, no, there was no science to that. It was balls to the wall, push yourself until you can't go anymore, and be a savage. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and we're not, and, and you really think about it, we're not that far off of, of that kind of mentality and that mindset still in certain camps where like, I, I'll use, I'll use uh, Anthony as an example again. Um, I remember when Anthony was fighting Alexander Gustafson, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, they were a main event, so it was a five round fight. And I remember watching the countdown stuff. And again, I know the cameras sort of, elaborate this and that so I don't you know necessarily have a full insight but just the fact that something like this was said to me shows how far behind they were compared to where we were in terms of our preparation that you know I remember Gustafson sparred five rounds and then went out on the track and hit like some absurd number of 400s or 800 yard sprints right after sparring. Like he's in condition to not only fight five rounds, but six, seven, but like, wow. They're looking not, at that as a benefit. Yeah, like he's you, not going to fight six or seven rounds. Like I'd rather him know how to properly be completely destroyed at the end of five rounds using every ounce of his energy. You know, like, like I look at Kamaru, for instance, Kamaru is probably in my mind, the most well conditioned athlete, arguably in the UFC. And when he is done at the end of that five rounds, I mean, it, John Jones, for instance, they're carrying him out of the octagon. Those guys know how to utilize every ounce of energy at the right amount at the right time. And that's a, you know, that's yeah. a skill set all in its own right. Yeah. But um, kind of going back to that comment about the Joe Rogan and, you know, the preparation, you know, to me, that sounds like something Mike Chandler would say, and it could have been him. I know he's been on the show before. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that kind of is a, a kind of an underlying theme. I mean, typically Rogan is having world champions on the show, right? Yep. And so I think when you're looking at kind of the landscape of MMA in general, you're starting to see the majority of these world champions coming from collegiate wrestling, collegiate athletics. They're starting to come from an environment where they were at one point in time provided. 
athletic training, physiology, strength and conditioning, physical at the therapy, highest levels. At the, you know, at the highest level. Whereas like, then you bring that into this mixed martial arts world. That's a mixture of karate, BJJ and things like that, where these fighters have done it off of just pure hard work, you know, not saying that they didn't work hard, but like just sure. raw, hard work, talent getting driven into the ground. And I think you're finally starting to see this happy medium where things are starting to change. And I, you know, not only from a strength and conditioning side, but I think, you know, I think a lot of our skill coaches and things like that, like, you know, Greg Jones, Henry Hooft and those guys, I, I think that they have, I mean, they as, as well. I've gotten so much better at my role because of the work and the progression that they've made as professionals. They seem to embrace it a lot too, right? And, and it takes but, guys like that from the old school to really embrace what you're doing and integrate it in. Otherwise, you're just the guy on the outside talking about all this crazy stuff that nobody wants to, to really probably bring in. You know, and I think Henry's a good example of this. Uh, you know, he'll, he'll play things off and, and he'll – play light about strength and conditioning where like, yeah, you know, listen, my guys are always in shape. My guys always make weight. I don't ever have to worry about that. So I know they're going to be prepared to fight. So that makes my job easy, but don't think for a second that I don't know Henry's there every day when I'm running strength and conditioning, observing, watching, seeing who's first and things like that. Like mm -hmm. I know he plays it off, but I know he also takes every aspect of training into consideration for his game planning. He's watching wrestling. He's watching BJJ. He's, I mean, he's just a, he's really just a true complete fan of martial arts that it carries over into his coaching. He loves learning new things and seeing people do things. And like I said, he'll play it. If it's not his specialty of striking, he'll play it off. Like he doesn't know what's going on, but he's, he's learning throughout this process quite a bit. And, and honestly, he's, he's changed up so many different things in the way that he's approached stuff. And, you know, to me, people want to sit here and give me all the credit in terms of like conditioning and stuff like that. No, it's not that, man. I'm just a, I'm just a compliment to the type of training that they're doing in terms of their striking, their sparring and this and that, that it's, it's the whole system together. It's not just one piece, just because I have conditioning in my label and title doesn't mean I'm solely responsible for it. It's, you know, it, it's the combination of all of the coaches working together, putting the right volume, putting the right system together, communicating. And, you know, I, Arguably, when you look at somebody like Kamaru, I mean, he's progressively gotten better and better and better each fight. And that's a testament to, you know, the coaching, the system, and obviously the hard work that, that he's put in. I see a guy like Kamaru who, I mean, he's had challenges. I, th knee, I think he's been vocal about the, the issues with his knees. Mm -hmm. I mean, are you, are you finding that, you know, the – I know a lot of guys are do a lot of road work, right? And especially the traditional boxing guys. I know you you work with Chris Algieri. So where does that, I mean, have you changed your mentality or is that really individually based on kind of needs and, you know, what are the benefits to running as opposed to just getting that conditioning on the mats or in jujitsu or. I think it's very individually based. Um, it's part of boxing. I mean, that, that's just the thing. It, it's it's yeah. part of that boxing mentality uh Chris you know when I first met Chris that was one of the biggest arguments that we had was you know in his mind this Saturday morning run was you know psychological it was his conditioning it was going to improve him and this and that and and we noticed on Mondays how lethargic he was and how much time he spent redlining during that long distance run um you know and so that was one of the things that we really had to change like Will I ever say that there's not a need for that aerobic component? No, but I will say working those anaerobic bouts of conditioning are definitely going to carry over into the aerobic system mm -hmm. and the anaerobic system better than the aerobic system's going to carry over into both systems as well. So I think there's more benefit to the, to the anaerobic work, to the, to the glycolytic work than opposed to the long distance running. Now, I think there's two very big benefits to it. I think one, I think the weight management aspect of it. I think this is a good way for, for some of these fighters to not, you know, the smaller fighters to not bang up the body too well and to be able to maintain a certain level of, a certain level of weight and those kind of things. Um, the second thing, 
I think when you're when you're really looking at it, I think psychologically it's it's huge for for a lot of them. It's a place for them to to be inside their own head, to visualize what they're going to do while not being constrained to the walls of the gym, to the mats, to the to the ropes, what the cage, whatever it is that their thing is. Um, and I think being able to get out of that environment and still be able to do something, you know, productive quote unquote, I think is a, is a big thing for them psychologically. So it's not something that I would ever completely remove from a program if I didn't have to, but it's something I would definitely modify and definitely things that I would remove maybe on a more acute or weekly basis. If we did need our energy dedicated towards somewhere else. Yeah. Somebody like Kamaru, he can't, I mean, he, I don't in even like short bursts and bouts like that. I mean, Kamaru and myself, we've been, I don't even know, 12 camps, 13 camps, whatever his UFC run is. I mean, we, we started working together right before his first UFC fight. And uh, we've never spent one bout of anything running whatsoever. And it, it blows, I mean, it, if there's anything positive you can say about Colby Covington, it's that he's got an engine that never quits. And Absolutely. honest to God, man, I, I don't think anybody would argue with the fact that Camaro is the one who pushed that pace that whole oh, yeah. fight and oh, yeah. you know that to me was the the there was there was an obvious strength and size um and just skill level that you could see um but I was most impressed by the fact that Colby wasn't imposing his will of conditioning and I, I thought about that a lot when I was watching the fight that man Corey must have something seriously special as well as Camaro just his will and determination but to be able to develop that type of conditioning and impose will on a guy like Colby uh, man uh, that was impressive there was uh with the with the Colby fight I mean I, I think we knew that that was that was coming and I think we knew conditioning was going to be sort of the x factor if even if in my mind if Camaro had the ability just to maintain the same level of conditioning and cardiovascular fitness as Kobe, I knew the benefit was going to go to him physically because if he could sustain the same amount, his power and strength is still going to trump him. I knew that there was no way he was going to be stronger or more powerful than him. I mean, that was a, that was a fact, but I mean, I, in my opinion, I still think Kamaru not only maintained, but I think his, his level of fitness was, was higher in that fight. Um, but we, and we started that very early. I mean, we started, if you go back and look, when he, he when Kamaru left from the Tyron thing, he immediately came back and got into the gym, like right away. Let's get a session in, let's do this. And, and right away, I remember that first conversation about, you know, our normal plan was, you know, we were always on a three-day off-season program, um, you know, typically more like two strength days and one kind of rehabilitation. Let's work on some stuff. Uh, really kind of left the conditioning, you know, certain bouts and certain days. And we progressed it that way just to, not to beat up his body. And I remember we dedicated really three full days to some form of conditioning where one whole day was really just conditioning based for him. Mm -hmm. um, where with a lot of like the correctives and stuff like that, that we were incorporating, we were going to push a really, really hard, cardio day as well and it was fun too because at that time that's when that's when Anthony first jumped back in really from the bodybuilder world and you know I remember his whole mindset was just this like listen I'm just gonna I just need that feel of going through a championship camp I want to be there for him I want to support him I just want to know where I'm at and stuff like that and I remember Anthony was there with them you know through that whole entire thing thick and thin I think that's where you know Anthony realized you know that there was some time needed to to make sure that we had those to have the have that conditioning base in place to make sure that he could sustain camp and yep. like I said you know if you're not, if you don't have that base I mean it's just going to lead to disaster you're going to get injured you're going to be behind you're going to be limited in your training sessions and things like that and it's not a place you want to be well Camaro's a hell of a measuring stick you know right. to, to to measure yourself against so mm -hmm. uh, it's awesome has the performance center I mean has that been a benefit for someone like you right so I mean that's I would think that it has, but obviously the, the UFC can be a strange organization. Um, mm -hmm. You know, how have you been able to leverage that? And I would assume it's probably more when fighters are out in Las Vegas to be able to ensure they're able to get the same type of 
insight into their body and, and such while they're not necessarily under your quote unquote roof um, mm-hmm. is helpful. You know, I think, I mean, first and foremost, I think the, the reputation of, of each of the different individuals there at the PI um, really speaks volumes. Again, a, a lot of them came from different sporting backgrounds. So kind of similar to where I was when I first entered the thing. Um, and, you know, I think when you look at credentials and, and resources and, and people in the field, you know, trust me when I, when I say this, I spent a lot of time asking a lot of questions to a lot of different people that I knew in the field in regards to each of the, the, the people out there that I knew could be a really valuable resource to me. And, and again, it always came back extremely positive and, and uh, you know, results oriented, uh, really spoke volumes of the, of the people they have out there. Um, so again, at that point in time, it was a feeling out process where a lot of my fighters were going out there and, and I was following up with each individual, whether it be physical therapy with, with Heather Linden, um, you know, Clint does nutrition, Bo does strength and conditioning, Duncan oversees the entire thing, Charles Stahl does fight week nutrition. I mean, the list goes on and on. And, and you know, for me to be able to sit here and name them off, obviously they're extremely important in, in what I'm doing. Um, yep. You know, they, they were willing to spend a lot of time with me on the phone and, and talk about the things that they saw and compare notes. And, and I think it was, to be honest, I think it was kind of a feeling out process on both ends where they were, you know, they, a lot of the work and the things that I've done is a lot of the stuff that, that they're doing, you know, the laboratory testing and things like that. We, our, our programs are very similar. They're just obviously very much more well-resourced in terms of what's provided for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Numbers, I guess, you know, I'm kind of a, a one man show with the exception of Chris and, you know, having Algeri help me with nutrition and stuff like that. But uh, it, it, that's been huge. I mean, seriously, they're, they're very, they're very world-class at what they do. And it's been great to be able to, you know, for instance, looking at this week right now, I have Kamaru and I have Vulcan Ozdemir that are both going to be fighting on, on this upcoming card. And um, it's been nice to know, like, you know, be able to create a relationship with, with the nutrition side of things and Charles Stahl and Clint, because now I know what the process is. They know my process for weight cutting. I know what their process is. We know how to meet in the middle and how to make these things work where when Vulcan heads out there, I can simply shoot one message to Charles and I know he's taken care of now. That's such a huge burden off of my shoulders. Yeah. Um, so, so they've been, a, they've been a huge research and, and the things that they're trying to do and the things that they want to do from the research side and stuff like that. It just, it's made me better as a practitioner, researcher and stuff, thinking about, you know, giving me ideas to think about and stuff like that. So, you know, nothing but amazing things to say about what they're doing out there and, and their staff in particular. Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's really cool. Um, I wanted to switch directions a little bit. Um, you know, you mentioned early on, you know, testing saliva for inflammation and all these little things, right? And mm-hmm. I'd be curious, you know, with a lot of folks um, exploring hemp and CBD, um, mm-hmm. I've, I've really started to dive in there, gotten very interested in turmeric. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what are your, as, as from your doctor perspective, right, um, mm-hmm. clinical side? I'd like to spend a little time in, in that because I grew up in the world of going to GNC, you know, finding all kinds of flashy supplements of what was going to work quick. And I think as I've gotten older, you start to understand that it's, it's the consistency of multivitamins, the consistency of your regimen to make you run at an optimal level. Um, Absolutely. You know, I mean, what are some of the, the things from your perspective that really drive that? I mean, and more not to give you long winded, but I mean, today mm-hmm. we have this COVID shit and it's, you know, everything's wear a mask, do this, but you don't hear anything about be healthy, get vitamin D, take some zinc, you know, take turmeric, you know, reduce your inflammation, lose some weight. Um, I think that's a missing component. So I, I, while having you, I was like, I got to make sure we talk just about general health and well being because it's mm-hmm. not talked about nearly enough right now in America. Yeah, well, I think you hit a, a couple of good things. I think we're on the same page when you're looking at the, the CBD research that's emerging, when you're looking at the turmeric and anti-inflammation and uh, vitamin D, zinc, and things like that. I mean, again, we're just, we're just talking about strengthening immune, immunity here, supporting the immune system where it's at, you know, th- those things. 
are huge components and you can't tell, you know, again, I don't know enough about the COVID. I, I don't even think the experts know exactly what they're dealing with. So I don't want to sit here and say that, you know, prescribe this amount and this amount and this amount and that, but you can't tell me that that support isn't going to, in some cases, at least reduce your susceptibility to well, to the to the actual virus. Let's itself. be real. I've seen some slides where yeah. they're posing as fact, like this type of me- if you wear a scarf around your face, it's thirty <laughs> percent effective. Like if we're right. going to devote time to put those stupid things out there, then we're really missing the mark by not talking about just being healthy. Because I would assume that's probably a little bit more of importance as to choosing, you know, do I want silk or cashmere for my face mask? Yeah, no, you're, you're, <laughs> you're exactly right. Um, in terms of what else we're doing, uh, let's go with maybe supplement performance first. I mean, first and foremost, when I look at probably the most important supplement that we're going to prescribe to all of our fighters, um, we're going to have creatine monohydrate. We're going to have somewhere based on where their levels are, where their weight is probably three to six grams per day. Um, with those individuals. Um, and again, creatine is one of those tricky things where I think there's a lot of, a lot of misconceptions with it, where I think first and foremost, people don't even know what it is. People kind of relate it as like, what is it? Is it a steroid? Is it this? Is it that? Is it something, you know, like, what is it? And, and again, it, it's, a, it's naturally occurring within the body. And it's really just going to be the catalyst for driving your, your what I would call your alactic, ATP PCR energy system. So anything that involves power output, plyometrics, weightlifting, creatine is going to be the catalyst to allow you to provide and do more work under extremely intense situations. And mono, um, monohydrates where a lot of the testing has been done, correct? Because I know there's like athelastor and there's all kinds of different. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it really is the most tested supplement in the world. If you, if you really look at it, I, I'm fortunate. I work with uh I work with a researcher, Jose Antonio. He's the founder of the International Society of Sports Nutrition. And, uh, you know, the majority of the research that I've been able to, to be a part of with him typically involves some form of either creatine or whey protein isolate in terms of, you know, body composition, performance, whatever the case might be, um, cognitive testing, stuff like that. You know, creatine, I think, is interesting, too. It is the most... It is the most uh, research supplement in the world. And when you actually look at the history of creatine, um, this was introduced a long time ago and it was introduced actually in children and adolescents that were developing symptoms and or neurological disorders at a very early onset, like earlier than, than the general population than the average. And so they were using a lot of this creatine research as a catalyst for improving brain function, neurological function, and stuff like that. And obviously, it's just evolved into benefits throughout the entire body. So That's not only from the, you know, not only in terms of brain protection, brain health, but also, you know, the, the physical side of it in terms of muscular performance. That's interesting. I, I was going to ask you, I'd heard a lot of folks talking about it as a nootropic. Uh, yeah, e- even that. Yeah. So uh, That's interesting. Yeah. Um, outside of the creatine, I already mentioned, obviously, we're going to have some form of protein, uh, preferably whey protein isolate. Uh, but again, depending on just digestive systems, training, things like that, uh, a variety of different proteins, fast digesting carbs, typically about glutamine, um, post-workout, we're going to have a high level of omega-3 fatty acids. Um, in terms of like milligrams, probably about 1,100 milligrams of combined EPA and DHA per day. Uh, beta alanine is typically where we're going to be at. Um, and I would say that pretty much covers our, our basic regimen for, for every fighter. Um, some different variations based on the blood work and stuff like that that we'll do. But I would say for the, for the general supplement performance, that's probably where we'd be at with everything. Um, outside of that, I mean, I think food performance, and again, this applies to not only fighters, but just general population, I mean, all over the place. I think we have to always, when we're thinking about food performance and we're highly active, I think we always need to be thinking about anti-inflammation. And I think we need to be thinking about immune boosters. So with that said, you know, things like vasodilators, beets, beet juice, tart cherry, dark chocolate, I think are going to be huge components and things that we've really instilled into the diets of our athletes. Um, 
antioxidants, blueberries, mixed berries, spinach, immune boosters, citrus fruits, non-fat dairy, broccoli, things like that. And I think finally, you know, looking at anti-inflammatory foods, fatty fish, extra virgin olive oils, pineapples, things like that. I mean, those things are instilled now into our fighters that, I mean, that's, those components are going to be built into every single meal, every single day. And so, you know, and again, I, those don't just apply to fighters in, in general, like we were talking about this, you know, everything that we just talked about is gonna, in one way or another, improve immune function, improve, you know, your anti-inflammatory properties and, and things like that. So I think they're all good things to think about, even just somebody that's a physical, you know, physically active gym goer. Yeah, no, it's it's funny, right? You see everybody with their shaker, they've got their, their you know, some sort of pre-workout, they've got, you know, a weight gainer, but they don't take a multivitamin. They don't, you know, they don't, they don't take care of the little aspects. I mean, I'm, I'm big into it now, man. It's like, I can't miss getting some CBD. I need some hemp powder. I need some turmeric. I need, you know, a good multi. I need some sort of probiotic for my stomach um, just to make sure everything's functioning right. And I, it's not like my world falls apart. Um, but if I break up that consistency, I notice it. I notice that I don't feel my best. Well, and I think I left out one of the most important things that I think you and I can agree on, caffeine. I mean, you, you mentioned it with the pre-workout. I don't even care about the pre-workouts. You know, a good cup of black coffee, good caffeine source before you work out, and you're good to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm, this has been like the hardest thing for me, right? So I, I, it's funny you brought that up. I, obviously, with the coffee um, yeah. company, I'm excited for you to get to try some, some action. Absolutely. Um, I was an a energy drink drinker. Um, and I wanted to get your feedback on that because my wife and family have given me massive amounts of shit because I'll like go on these binges where, you know, a year or two, I don't think there's a day that goes by where I won't have multiple cans of something right. and, and try to steer away from that into uh, more natural ways of consuming caffeine. And mm -hmm. it wasn't until finding action with a little less bitterness and such to try to get into the coffee, but I mean, mm -hmm. am I killing myself by drinking Red Bull? I'll just, Red Bull? I'll just look at it like <laughs> this. And I guess this is the way that it's easiest for me. And I'm going to just kind of keep it to a research side of things, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you look at all of these different pre-workouts, if you look at all these different energy drinks and, and all of those different things, you are always going to see some form of benefit in terms of whether it be cognition, whether it be task, whether it be reaction, whether it be performance, right? Those are always compared to a placebo. Those are always compared to some form of non-caffeine containing whatever. So I always sit here and ask myself, what would be the results if we were comparing monster to caffeine, if we were comparing bang to a black cup of coffee from Starbucks and things like that. And again, I get it. You got to do the research first. Yes. Does it work compared to nothing? Yeah, it does. Of course. But what is the, what, what's the real driving force behind that? Is it this combination blend of these 28 ingredients all mixed up or is it the 200 milligrams of caffeine that are in there that are giving you these acute benefits? So in my mind, and, and this goes for anything, even like, you know, I think about protein bars and when people ask me different recommendations on, you know, those kind of things, I always just say it's a, an easy thing. Look at the wrapper, what has the most limited amount of additives, ingredients, and synthetic things. So with that said, if you look at something like coffee, and you look at something like Monster Energy, I think if you just use those, I think you know the answer as well. Yep. And I don't know if you just wanted me to validate your bad habits for you or what you're looking for there. <laughs> yeah, you know, you just made a lot of folks in my family very happy with that answer. There, there you go. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's my vice, man. And it's, it's, it's fucking hysterical that I'm a partner in a coffee brand. And right. you know, my, my wife was like, wait, coffee? You don't drink coffee. And uh, it's been th I've been very grateful that uh, it's good coffee. So I, I'm not even stuck drinking poor coffee. But. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, uh, I appreciate the insight on that. For sure. Um, yeah, man, I, you know, it, it's really interesting having a chance to talk with you. Are, are you just solely MMA right now, combat okay. sports, or are you, look, are you, you don't work with any football, baseball, basketball kind of 
So the, the way it kind of works out, and, and a lot of this has kind of evolved recently because, you know, obviously I have the Peacock performance where I have consulted on the outside with, uh, and still do consult with. So I guess to answer your question, I'm not solely MMA combat sports. Um, I do do some work with, you know, I have a great relationship with like University of Tennessee's sports science where we do some data analysis stuff with them as well. Um, you know, different football teams, different you know, a lot of the preseason testing through, you know, not only my side, but also through the university will provide the, you know, preseason testing for like the Florida Panthers, for the Florida Marlins and things like that. We've created strong relationships with them. So get a lot of experience on that side. Um, from the research side of things, um, we, do, we do a lot of work through our lab with combine football athletes, uh, extreme performance enhancement. Um, you know, XP and stuff like that, where we'll get some hands-on experience with our combine guys. And, and, you know, I, I'll do, I spend a lot more time in the outside sports with just the sports science realm of it, okay. helping people kind of more like con, more consulting type work, you know, how to set up technology, what's the right kind of monitoring to use? What do I think would be most successful with, you know, cause it's one of those things like people can sit here and tell you that this piece of machinery is great. Use this but they also don't take into account that you're about to monitor 50 to hundred athletes, depending on what your sport is. Yeah. And it's like this one piece of equipment that takes 15 minutes to administer on one athlete. Imagine trying to do that over the course of a football team and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, a, a lot of just experience with that. Um, so I do that, but you know, realistically my main time, you know, considerations go to the university first and foremost um, you know, I spend more time there, you know, that is my full-time job. And then outside of that, I'm the head strength and conditioning coach for, you know, what's now branded as Sanford MMA. So that was, you know, that, that's Henry Hoof squad. Um, and, and that's a, you know, kind of a new title. I've always, you know, Peacock performance has always worked side by side with them, but now that the rebranding has occurred and stuff like that, that title's, you know, been made official as the head strength and conditioning coach for them. So that's, awesome. um, that's pretty much where my time now, my time commitments, you know, 40 plus hours to the university and any extra time I have goes to, to the fighters. Yeah. Now I would, I would imagine that the university and then even the consulting you do on the outside gives you a lot of possible, really unique perspective on body types and different things that maybe somebody who's only focused on MMA fighters might not be able to see or come across that data that you're able to say, Hey, look, you know, I was, you know, whether it be this college football program and I, you know, I saw some data across 15 or 20 or 30, however many athletes that maybe makes you want to go back to Anthony or to tomorrow and say, Hey, something I think we might be able to do here and get some improvements in ways that you wouldn't have otherwise found. Absolutely. I think that, I think that's all part of it. Um, you know, being good at something, being good at one particular sport, which I, you know, I'm hoping at this point now, that's where I'm at with the, with the mixed martial arts and the combat sports. Mm -hmm. um, but, but understanding the amount of information and the expertise that come along with, with those, those that are considered good in, in the other sports. And, you know, that, that's a big part of it for me. It's, you know, if I can provide just a little bit of my knowledge, but gain, like, you know, it's one of those things, like I was talking about Henry going in and paying attention, you know, I go in there, ask for an expertise, but then I'm asking a thousand questions that I want to know inside my head of how they're setting practice up, how these things go, what's the, what's the rationale behind this periodization program, this off-season program, and things like that, and again, it's just one of those things that it, it keeps you well-rounded. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard telling where, where this all might lead in five, 10 years, if, you know, if this opportunity ever goes back to football, baseball, you know, whatever the case might be, you just, you never know. So I think being prepared for any of that is extremely important. Well, it shows, man. It's uh, you, you've obviously done something right to, to get the attention of the guys that you're working with. And, um, you know, obviously you're, you're probably a little biased, but any, any kind of thoughts on how this goes down? Are you expecting a dog fight? Do you think it goes the distance or what are you, what's your general outcome for this? You think? I do think there is going to be a, a big portion of this that is a dog fight. I think, uh, I think George Masvidal possesses some really, really, really interesting skills in terms of his takedown defense, in terms of his striking, which we're, we're all aware of, and really in terms of his ability to just make a fight a fight. Um, I mean, I firsthand have seen, you know, I've watched him in person 
uh, previously fight one of my fighters back at, actually now this is funny thinking about this full circle. This was Kamaru's first fight in the UFC when he fought Hyder on the, on the ultimate fighter finale. Okay. I had another guy, Cesar Ferreira at the time, um, still, still in the UFC. I think he won the ultimate fighter Brazil, maybe season one or season two. Uh, has, has had a great career. I remember he fought George Masvidal and, uh, you know, same thing was really, really, really being successful. It started to get really dirty. I remember Masvidal putting him out with a, with a nasty elbow against the fence. So, I mean, that's the one thing about Masvidal. He, he's going to make this a fight. Um, I just think with Kamaru being Kamaru, I think his pace, I think his conditioning, I think his wrestling skill set, I think his ability to, to inflict punishment. I mean, people just don't, outsiders just don't understand like what he does to you when he, when he puts you on the ground and the amount of volume and the amount of times he's hitting you and, Mm -hmm. and the frustration that comes with that. I think Kamaru will break him after about three rounds of that, of that nasty fight. And I think from there, it could either be a referee stoppage TKO where, where Mastodel's just not defending himself underneath Kamaru anymore, or it goes that, you know, or he withstands that, that storm for two rounds and it goes to a decision. But I yeah. mean, I, I'm going 100% on Usman. Yeah. I, uh, it's hard for me to bet against him. And, you yeah. know, I, I think about that Nate Diaz fight mm-hmm. and Nate, Nate's not a big guy, right? He's not an imposing guy. And there was, there was a moment in that fight where, although George obviously won that fight, you know, that I, I have no qualms about it. He looked sharper. He looked better. Looks like he's on a different level than Nate Diaz, actually. Mm-hmm. But I, I see Nate Diaz and Camaro fighting, and that, that fight's a different fight. I think that ends in the first round. I, I think Camaro steamrolls Nate Diaz. No offense to Nate Diaz. I just don't – to me, right now in their careers, that's – I don't think it's anywhere near that. And I, that fight I keep going back to in my head, and I just – I don't know. I, I think mm-hmm. you're, you're probably spot on. So. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I mean, that's one of those things I see. I see a lot out there right now. Gilbert Burns and Nate Diaz back and forth. And I mean, yeah, all due respect to, to Nate and them. I mean, they're, they're great. But I think I, I don't think anybody can sleep on Gilbert. I think he's a, I think he's a well-deserved number one contender right now. Yeah, so. I agree. Well, thank you, man. I, I'll let you get back to it. I know you've got a crazy week um, of things happening and, and whatnot, but thank you again so much for joining and we'll, we'll connect in the future. Let me know how the coffee is and uh, keep Absolutely. doing it, man. I'm excited to see these guys coming out of your program. I appreciate it, Justin. Thanks for having me. Certainly. Bye-bye. All right. Take care, buddy.